Hey, Jessica, it's Monday, and you know what that means. Monday? We don't record on Mondays. We record on Thursdays. It's time for ODing on Garfield and Friends. It's our episode-by-episode recap of Garfield and Friends and U.S. Acres every Monday. Garfield? What are you talking about? Get your lasagna ready. What you are experiencing is a temporary distortion of reality. Warning. Incoming game. Warning. No, it's not the Garfield podcast after all. This is Incoming Game, the podcast where we watch... And rewatch ...the 90s animated series Reboot. I'm Jessica, a nostalgic. And I'm Ben, a skeptic. I've never seen this show until now. And I've been a fan for years. Each week, we'll take an episode, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. This week, we get a major move against Megabyte and our very first cliffhanger two-parter. So Jessica, how was your week? Uh, my week wasn't bad, actually. I got to see you. Oh, yeah, that's right. We went to New Jersey, and we stopped over at Allentown and had lunch with you guys. Yep, stopped at Cali Burrito. Yes, if you're ever in Allentown, Cali Burrito is the place to go. Yeah, it was really fun to see you IRL, as the kids say these days. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see you, too. So are you excited for this week's episode? I am super excited. You want to get right into it? Let's go. This week we are doing episode 12, part 1, Identity Crisis. First aired on January 14th, 1995. It was written by Jono Howard, and the story is by Gavin Blair, Phil Mitchell, and Ian Pearson. And we open up with a game in mainframe. Yes, this time we actually do go inside the game, and we see an idyllic landscape. So idyllic. (laughs) Got like a stream and butterflies and there's someone fishing out at the lake. Who is that? That's not, that's not Bob, is it? It's Bob rocking the stubble and grenade vest look. He's different looking. (laughs) Yeah, he's all buff. He's unshaven, close cropped hair. He's got, like you said, the grenades. (laughs) He's enjoying a nice relaxing time by the river doing some fishing. He's just getting some rest on and all of a sudden he's under attack. A helicopter flies over, followed by a tank that sticks its gun right between Bob's legs. (laughs) It's just like gently nuzzling him in the crotch and like lifting him up. (laughs) Though if you look at his eyes, I would think it's actually crushing his testicles at this point. (laughs) Oh, right. So he pulls out a grenade. He's ready to attack. But who's inside? It's just Enzo. It's Enzo. (laughs) He complains. He's like, I'm bored with this old ass game. Bob's been wasting time, but he was hoping that Enzo would learn something. It's like, you really need to learn the basics. You know, one day you might end up in the fun house. Dun, dun, dun. Which they treat like it's a spooky campfire story, like this Legend Tales of the Fun House game. Yeah, it's some kind of like old wives' tales, but Bob's friend's cousin totally lived through the funhouse once. <laughs> Plus, it's never too late to brush up on the basics. But yeah, so Enzo points out the user whose tank is trapped in like a bad parallel park situation. Just keeps moving back and forth, not getting anywhere, kind of impotently spinning its cab around. Which I feel really bad for the user here because I'm fairly certain that's been me at one point or another in my gaming history. <laughs> but Bob is encouraging Enzo to put the user out of his misery, but Enzo wants to see what the plane does first. So we've got this goofy looking binome and he's holding this big like cherry bomb you know it's labeled bomb right on it and uh he drops it and it lands right back in the plane again (laughs) these two guys are fun they've got little like old aviator scarves on and they are british and possibly and or australian they say crikey which i'm fairly certain is australian not british but they sound very british (laughs) 
Crikey, Binky, I think we've bought it. They have a fun little back and forth where, like, he is offering him tea, and he's like, oh, I do believe we are doomed. And they parachute out as the stealth bomber explodes. Mm-hmm. And Bob's done with all this messing around. He just pulls out the grenade launcher. Yeah, he sends a missile the tank's way and ends the game, which Enzo's kind of upset by that, and I'm not sure why, because he was bored with the game anyway. He was bored. But now he's upset because Bob took the win from him. <laughs> but Bob reminds him that it's Dot's big day and they have to get going. And we get to zoom over to Dot and you get to see her going through her plans for the day. She calls over Cecil for help, but a disturbing music cue happens and everything starts to go all wonky. Yeah, everything turns into like a creepy dystopia. There's like a bunch of infected binomes. Cecil is faceless and everything is dark. Uh, and we get to hear Fong's voice come over her head. The loudspeaker? Something. Yeah, he says, what you are seeing is a temporary distortion of reality. And then everything fades back to normal. Did she just, like, phase out into an alternate dimension? What's going on? That seems to think she's just been working too hard. Well, she shakes it off as just a uh, stress hallucination, just as the boys arrive. Uh, Cecil lets her know that the staff and the food are all rooting for her. Uh, the food is only rooting for her, though, as long as it takes for Enzo to knock it off the counter. <laughs> right. So Dot starts to freak out that Enzo's icon is missing from his hat. But not to worry, Bob was just holding on to it for him. Yeah, we get a big knowledge drop here. We finally get to learn what the icon is. Right, which Dot reminds Enzo and us at the same time. <laughs> uh, that it holds their PIDs, or personal ID codes, and that if someone gets a hold of them, they get to make you do whatever they want. Which you could also do that by just shrinking down and going inside their heads, apparently, too. <laughs> it's weird that it would have been taken off in the first place. How was he supposed to reboot in the game without it? I get the feeling that he lost it because he was racing too fast, which seems odd. But... It's back on now, now that we've got that exposition out of the way. Yeah, it's a pretty obvious bit of foreshadowing, too, because you just know what's going to come up later. Exactly. Uh, Bob tells her it's time to get going. Dot seems a little nervous, though. Uh, she's not feeling very confident. She's not sure if she's ready. But everyone's waiting for her, though, so she puts on her power suit, also known as her school marm outfit, with the glasses. I really love her outfit. It's so cute. But they head for what appears to be a secret meeting, and the password to get in is just, it's us. Who is it? It's us. I like the speakeasy door as he slips it open, and the nervous binome lets Bob and Dot into a graffitied and dirty hallway. Right. Bob's wearing his Secret Service shades. I love his <laughs> Secret Service glasses. They're so great. <laughs> what is he? It's like they're in a dark hallway. Why is he wearing sunglasses? He doesn't have any of the other Secret Service accoutrement. He's just got the sunglasses. He doesn't have the suit. He doesn't have a little wire in his ear. <laughs> He does talk to Fong through Glitch, though. He alerts Fong to their presence. Yeah, he fills him in on the sitch on the way in. Right. Do you want to talk about this graffiti? Yeah, so we get a few different graffitis in the background. Um, I can't read all of it, but one says MB for Hex. Gross. Uh, one says Binums Unite, which foreshadows what we're about to see. We get Smash the Solid State. I love Smash the Solid State. I thought that was a great one. <laughs> uh, we get a bad drawing of Megabyte, some Tic-Tac-Toe, and some Binary. Right. So they enter the auditorium, and it's filled with hundreds, if not thousands, of binomes. It's like all of, well, that's the whole sector, right? Yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like a UN chamber. Lots of podiums. Right. <laughs> she asks if everyone's ready, and we get the binome in charge with his soul patch. She says, uh, you know, you, you have to understand, this is our personal ID codes are all we have left. And so we get another knowledge drop here, but I thought they did a really good job with it. You know, we get to see the binomes acting really nervous and explaining how important the PIDs are. And we get this nice little inspirational speech from Dot where we learn exactly what her plan is. She wants to register the PIDs with the principal office, free the sector from Megabyte's control, and turn the sector into an energy park. 
No big deal. But to do that, she needs all of their personal data. She's like Mark Zuckerberg over here, like trying to gather everyone's ID. <laughs> Except this is a little bit more important than learning what potato you are. <laughs> so this binome over here with the soul patch, is, this is Cyrus. He's got this big poofy black hair and a white streak going down it. So back when we first met our other favorite Afro binome, this is who I thought he was. I thought he was Cyrus. Oh, okay. At first he's a little nervous um, about giving up his personal ID stuff, but uh, she gives that inspiring speech and then everyone starts pressing their icons, emitting little orbs of light onto her iPad. It's the PID version of the slow clap. Yeah. (laughs) And everything seems to be going well, except we get to see some ominous silhouettes of hack and slash. Right. Uh, Fong remarks that this is actually the first time they've ever taken back one of Megabyte Sectors. Which, come on, guys. Work a little bit harder here. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, Bob's new in town, you know? But as they're celebrating, Dot notices that her iPad has gone missing. Oh, but it was just Cyrus. He was hiding it behind his back, which is actually a little bit of foreshadowing. I don't know if we want to... Everybody's seen this who's listening, right? Yeah, so it's like a dick move when you don't know that he's actually a dick. (laughs) Yeah, he chastises her. He's like, for real, though, don't let this out of your sight. It's only our entire lives on here. <laughs> but, but we do get to learn before the end of the episode that this is actually the scene where he is removing the file from the iPad. Right. So at this point, she's, Dot has already lost all of their PID codes, and she doesn't even know it yet. And neither do we. It's true. But she gives an inspirational moment letting the binomes know that they are free now. Which is Megabyte's cue to send in the fuzz. Right, hack and slash appear, telling everybody to surrender. Surrender! 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 When uh, Cyrus opens up a trap door, which allows Bob and Dot to escape to the sewers. Dot changes her outfit real quick and turns her iPad into a beeper, which I really wish I had that technology. I like that she's like, hold on, need to change my outfit first before I go down there. Well, she doesn't want to get it messy. It's the sewers. <laughs> Gross. Well, they jump down and the floor gets shot at, leaving this crater... I like the neener, neener, neener that Bob does before jumping in the hole, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But we get to see Megabyte come up on the big screen, scolding his subjects. Yeah, he's no longer playing guitar. He's back to being his old evil self. (laughs) Come on, Megabyte. You know what they say. Keep on rocking in the free world. Who would be fool enough to disturb my sector's order and calm? The feminine one! It's her! Yeah, that that feminine thing, not her! Yeah, her! You know, she did it. The one with boobs. Megabyte asks for a status report, and we learn that there's three platoons hunting down Bob and Dot as they speak. But Megabyte doesn't just want to stop Dot. He wants to break her spirit once and for all. So Fong checks in with Bob. He's like, so how's it going? Bob's like, we're fucked. And Fong's like, well, maybe you should self-destruct that iPad. And Dot's like, not gonna happen. The guys like start complaining that she's stubborn and determined. Why she is in a stubborn format. That determination thing again. Like, for real, guys? Dot just doesn't believe in the no-win scenario. <laughs> it's only everyone's lives at stake, you know? It's just a little <laughs> important. A little bit. He's like, for real, just blow it up. She's like, no way! Pfft, women. <laughs> but Cyrus continues to lead them down the tunnels, back and forth, as they evade the virus police. And he finds a hatchway that leads them up to the street. This hatchway leads to the street. You haven't got much time. Go! They start to head up the hatchway, but the virus police catch up to them. Uh, and Cyrus pulls a finico dare move, sacrificing himself down into the sewers against the mutates. Yeah, he sacrifices himself to let them escape. <laughs> like, remember me! And uh, Bob peeks up through the sewer lid. I'm sorry, sewer lid. Manhole cover. And he goes to tell Dot the situation, but she's already gone. And she's somehow already up in a truck up on the street. Which, I know she's capable and all that, but... 
I don't see how that was possible. <laughs> she nearly takes his head off driving towards him uh, and then tells him to get in. And he's like, hey, that's my line. Which, is it? Has that been established? I don't think it's one of his quotes, but I definitely think he thinks he's the hero and is the one who's supposed to say the, come with me if you want to live. He finds Dot's sudden impulsiveness sexy. And he's like kind of checking her out. He's like, oh, hey. <laughs> he's totally into it at this point. And she's like, come on, this is serious stuff, Bob. Can you chill for, like, a minute? Uh, she's not messing around. <laughs> she's a woman on a mission. <laughs> Don't get in her way. But then she gets another weird vision. Yeah, she falls into another fugue state. This time with a giant eyeball headed her way. And she shakes it off, and they evade capture by the pursuing tanks by sliding between them on their side. And crazy, like, Tokyo drift move. And then... Bob notices there's a big gun he can play with. So I think uh, Bob at this point has kind of transformed into Enzo's role. He's like kind of, <laughs> kind of becoming a child. He just wants to press the button and fire the big gun. Which Dot gratefully gives him permission, even though he doesn't know what he's doing with it. <laughs> he just starts randomly firing rockets out of their tank, which uh, he nearly gets them killed. The tower collapses and lands on one of the uh, pursuers. But it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But they made it. They made it to the border and they're home free. Right. And just as they reach the border, Megabyte's window shows up. And he announces publicly that Dot has personally delivered all of their PIDs to him and frames her as a saboteur. Which can't be true, right? So Dot checks her iPad and sure enough, the PIDs are gone. They failed. Fung has a funny line. He's like, wait, did you say they were removed? As in not erased? Did you say removed? As in not erased? Well, yeah, because if they're erased, Megabyte couldn't get his hands on them. But removed. That's true. Megabyte cackles and tells everybody to get ready for a career change. You see, he's not so bad. He's just creating jobs, you know? He's a job creator, and really, isn't that all we all want? There's going to be so many jobs. They're going to be great coal mining jobs. You're going to love them. At least he's going to hate the jobs as soon as they undo the encryption, which should take at least 2,000 nanoseconds, according to Air Doctor, who's back. Hmm. Yes, the file is well encrypted, your immenseness. Our decoding command will take at least 2,000 nanoseconds to release the PIDs. And Megabyte starts thanking somebody off screen for being so sneaky and underhanded. And who do we see but Soul Patch? It was so sneaky, underhanded, and downright distasteful that Megabyte loved it. I like that line. He's like, I loved it. I love the way he said it. It was good. Yeah. I loved it. Megabyte offers to make Cyrus lieutenant, and then they evil laugh together. Yeah, he just betrayed everybody just for a cushy lieutenant job. Seriously, Cyrus. Not cool. And we're back with the heroes, but Dot's having another vision. Right. You see a bunch of infected binomes going through a metal detector. It's a whole police state. Bob thinks she's just taking the loss really hard, which, you know, she is. It's almost like she feels an ounce of responsibility for putting everyone's lives in danger. Yeah, it's almost like there's, you know... A bunch of lives, literally in her hands. <laughs> literally taken out of her hands. <laughs> He's like, geez, Dot, why are you taking it so personal? <laughs> it, it, it's nice of Bob to care, but I, I think Dot does share some responsibility for it. <laughs> She's not not responsible, you know? <laughs> so Fong tells them to come down to the principal core, but Dot's not having it. She's She's done. She's giving up. Which I really like Bob's look right here. She says something along the lines of the whole sector would be better off without her. Uh, and Bob just looks like really super hurt and really concerned about her. And it's this nice subtle emotion that you see him with him right there. Yeah. And then the game comes down and ruins the shipper moment. Oh, so. no. <laughs> <laughs> and just as Bob foretold in the prophecy, it is, in fact, the fun house. Cue evil clown music. And we're left with a little 
goofy freeze frame to be continued. It's our first cliffhanger. Reboot! So what did you think of this episode, Jess? <laughs> we we kind of blasted through it, but there was a lot going on in this one. So before I get into what I thought about the episode, I want to talk about what I thought about the juxtaposition of this episode compared to the last one. It is a bit of mood whiplash, isn't it? It is such whiplash. I mean, we just had Megabyte jamming out to some metal music and giving a guitar to Enzo. Right. And now he's kind of Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, he, he basically, <laughs> he had a Snickers before the last episode. <laughs> this one, he's just angry again. <laughs> so I think this goes towards my opinion that I mentioned last time, that Talent Knight isn't, like, really canon. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone's just so out of character that it's, like, I'm just it's a fun episode to think of by itself, but I'm not going to, like, inject it into the rest of the series. <laughs> but... Bad juxtaposition aside, I like where this is going. We get to see an actual struggle. We get to see the betrayal from Cyrus, and we get Dot at this real low point, and it, it starts to feel a lot more adult in a lot of ways. I think part of that is because Enzo's not there. Oh, yeah, you know what? That could be. But we also get more of a focus on Dot, who, compared to Bob, has always been kind of the more adult of the two. Right. Especially in this episode where Bob's just giggling over a gun. <laughs> I mentioned that like Bob seemed to turn into Enzo earlier because like he's even using Enzo's catchphrases like Mega Dump and Dip Switch and stuff like that. In your dreams, Mega Dump. He was, uh, and it's it's really kind of fun to see that Empire Strikes Back kind of ending where they're at their low point here. You know, we, we someone just lost a hand and. All <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> Bob's in carbonite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get to see that to be continued marker, so it, it's a nice way to end the episode. I think. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I thought it was good. I have a lot of thoughts, though. (laughs) In the beginning, Bob tells Enzo that he needs to brush up on basics in case he ever has to encounter the Funhouse game. It's kind of a bit of foreshadowing. But then they leave Enzo at the diner. So when the Funhouse does come, Enzo isn't even there. (laughs) So all that training for nothing. (laughs) So, yeah, that does not pay off in this episode. It does, however, pay off in later episodes where Enzo definitely needed that that training. Right. (laughs) So these alternate dystopia flashes are interesting. I wonder what's going on with that. It seems like Fong's doing something, but it's not clear quite what yet. Because he keeps always having that narration over top of him. Yeah, I couldn't remember when I was first watching it exactly what was happening there. And I wasn't sure if it was, like, actually Fong's voice or if it was, like... Just, like, her imagining. Her imagining Fong's voice. So, Yeah. yeah, it was kind of a weird moment. Right. So from with Cyrus, you know, I f- thought he kind of seemed kind of sinister from the beginning, partly because of his whole look. But then, like, when he hides the iPad early on. But since he's helping them out, his betrayal still kind of comes as a surprise. The plot was a little confusing for a while. It took, like, half the episode to establish what was going on. You just kind of see Dot fretting, trying to convince everybody to give their IDs. But it's not really clear why until they've already done it. Yeah, they... they... Fill you in as you go along, right. which I'm kind of a fan of that, mm-hmm. not not telling you up front kind of storytelling. Right, no, but it seemed like different. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely different. This is a different episode than the other ones. You were definitely right in terms of the show's evolution. Like, this is a very different compared to the earlier episodes. There was a lot of action and never really dragged. There seemed to be real stakes. Um, one wonders why they weren't doing this from the very beginning or why they decided that the finale was the time to get serious. So I know when we hit season three, a lot of it is because they ended up actually getting canceled in America and Mm. they were just left in Canada, I believe. So a lot of the ways that they went in season three were because they didn't have to deal with ABC anymore. (laughs) Oh, interesting. 
Yeah, I wondered if maybe there was some question whether they were going to get brought back again, so they wanted to like end it on a bang. Yeah, this one and especially the next one is a really good example of where they want to go with the series. I mean, overall, it really worked for me. I, I liked the fact that we're getting some more dramatic plot. You know, peppering in the uh, alternate reality hallucinations, there was a bit of mystery there. I kept having to guess at what was going on. There wasn't really any awkward animation at all, like, seemed pretty solid. Like, that was stepped up. They really brought their A-game for the finale, you know? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And they left it on this interesting, like, callback slash cliffhanger, you know? <laughs> yeah, I thought they did a great job. Yeah, it was good. Solid A. <laughs> <laughs> Alphanumeric! So let's get into bits and bites. What do you got, trivia-wise? So we don't have too much for this episode. It was a very dramatic episode and not with the random references. Right. We already kind of went over the graffiti. So We went over the graffiti. Uh, we also get this fun moment where we see Dot's screen in the very beginning at the diner. Oh, does it say place hand on reader? It does not. <laughs> this time it has a binary dictionary on it, which has all of two entries. Zero, which is pronounced zero, <laughs> which is a noun, and less than one. <laughs> and one, which is pronounced one, also a noun, and it's more than zero. Oh, my. <laughs> I thought that was a fun little joke in there. We also get kind of an Australian My Fair Lady there. So when we get the binums, which are either British or Australian, he goes, Cranky, Banky, I thought we've bought it. Which is a reference to, by George, I think she's got it. Which is from My Fair Lady. Yes. We also get, as soon as they enter the sewers, Bob yells, Cowabunga! <laughs> Which, it's the 90s, so guess what that's a reference to? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then, when we're in the tank and Bob is driving, we get this brief instruction on the screen before it flashes away, saying, Don't panic! Which, I can only imagine, is a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, uh, yes! And that's our bits and bites for today. Told you it was a short one. Yeah. So, do you have anything on the game this week? I've got a few games that I think might work. Um, so, we're going to save Funhouse for next episode. Right. Uh, but we'll start with the opening game, in which we see tanks and helicopters and stealth bombers. This could be any of an infinite number of war slash tank games, I guess. Yeah, there's dozens of them. Um, so, I found one called Battle Tank. It's an action video game released by Absolute Entertainment. Uh, back in 1990 for the NES. Okay. And you play where you're inside the tank. And so you get to see out of it and are shooting around, uh, which I think would work really well for what we see the user doing here, mm-hmm. which is trying to navigate. There's also another one called Team Yankee. It was a video adaptation of a novel, actually, a World War Three novel. Okay. And it was developed by Oxford Digital Enterprises for the Amiga, the Atari, and the MS-DOS systems. Um, and that one you had multiple units. I don't know if you had multiple players, but you definitely had multiple units. And it was kind of the same thing where you were inside the tank and going around. Yeah. And another one called Tank Force. Uh, so this one's a multi-directional shooter arcade game. Uh, and you're looking at it from overhead. So you don't get the same kind of trouble like where you're the user like looking out. But you do get fun like planes that fly over while you're playing, which I thought was pretty appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like the whole like tank parallel parking scene is more for, more like a modern game kind of thing. Yeah, I don't think you would have had this problem in these older games at all. As for whether or not I would play it, probably not. Yeah, it's not really my style either. Yeah, I'm not really big into like the straight up war games. I need something a little bit more than driving a tank around. <laughs> uh, we also get Enzo saying that this is an older game. Yes, he does. We figure this is in 1994-ish. 
So how old was this game? Yeah, right. We must be looking at something from like the 80s, I'm assuming. Right. Which, you know, pretty good graphics for... (laughs) This is wrong. This is all wrong. Well, as always... Every week we choose a moment that sticks out to us, whether it be a funny moment, a strange bit of animation, or just something that we really liked. And uh, we award the Golden Pigtail Award to it, which uh, comes from a particularly goofy scene in the pilot episode. So uh, did you have any nominations this week? I did. So my first nomination has got to be Megabyte. It was sneaky, underhanded, and downright distasteful. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that scene too. I just love the way he said that I loved it part. But my winner has got to be Bob's Secret Service glasses. (laughs) Ah, the glasses were so good. (laughs) I just loved them. Like, it felt so much like a little kid, like, pretending to be the Secret Service. (laughs) Right. He's just, like, getting into the role. (laughs) It was so great. And especially when you compare it to, like, how he was acting the whole episode. Like, ooh, I get to shoot the gun. And... (laughs) (laughs) it was really fun i enjoyed the secret service classes a lot what about you ben so for me uh, a couple things i I liked bob almost pulling a grenade on enzo i liked when he wanted to fire the big gun and that awkward to be continued shot (laughs) are kind of all nominees but the winner for me is going to be those british bomber binomes having tea together (laughs) before blowing up (laughs) (laughs) they were really fun i liked them a lot yeah that kind of made it for me this is definitely I think, a sign of things to come with the the fun side jokes that actually land. (laughs) Right, yeah. Like, they've been getting better and better. All right, and that's our Frosty Moments for this week. So we don't really have any feedback this week, um, but do you want to recommend anything? I do. Um, So I'm going to go back to comics for a little while. All right. A mutual love. There's a series of comics called Delilah Dirk. It's a series of graphic novels by Tony Cliff. Delilah is an international adventurer and swordswoman who travels around with her trusty friend and companion, Salim. The first books are Delilah Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant and Delilah Dirk and the King's Shilling, which are available now. Uh, You can even read a free mini comic on the website, which is Delilah Dirk and the Seeds of Fortune. And that's on DelilahDirk.com if you wanted to read it. But the third book is coming out soon, and I'm very excited. It's available for pre-order now. Uh, It's called Delilah Dirk and the Pillars of Hercules. And they just travel around. It's like the 19th century, getting into all sorts of scrapes. There's a flying ship, and (laughs) it's really fun. It's super fun. I get such a kick out of it. (laughs) The art's wonderful, so you guys should totally check it out. Nice. I'm going to recommend a uh, podcast. It's a comedy miniseries of investigative journalism called Ray Moss, No Stone Unturned. It's by Benjamin Partridge, who is the same creator of the brilliantly absurdist Beef and Dairy Network on Maximum Fun. But this one, as much as I enjoy the Beef and Dairy Network, I think I might like Ray Moss even more. So this one can be found on a podcast called Kench, K-E-N-C-H, which uh, looks to be a bit of a collection of various comedy projects, with uh, Ray Moss being their first showcase. So he's like, he goes undercover and tries to investigate various crimes happening in, uh, in England. And it's hilarious. That sounds awesome. So what are we looking at next week? Uh, Well, next week, we're looking at the next part of Identity Crisis. (laughs) Our first two-parter. I'm so excited. Uh, We get to see the fallout of Dot's failure Mm. and some possible futures. Okay. Well, if you ever want to get in touch with us, you can uh, find us at Incoming Game Pod on Twitter. And we're also Incoming Game Cast on Facebook and IncomingGameCast.com is our website. You can find me at Dudworks on Twitter and at Dudworks Art on Facebook and dudworks.com you can find me at Stirvino lady that's s-t-i-r-v-i-n-o lady 
and that's on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Tumblr, though mostly on Twitter nowadays, but feel free to reach out to me wherever. I'm sure I'll find it eventually. Our theme music is Spasmatica Polka by Kevin McLeod. And uh, you know I was thinking we should do for our outro this week? What's that? Find out next week. Dun, dun, dun. Stay frosty, folks. Game over. User wins.